Hey everybody, we're in the back room. Uh, this is the green room for Disrupt TV, and we're going to be talking about Bitcoin pricing. Just kidding. <laughs> Wrong show. <laughs> uh, we're going to start with reverse order introductions. Um, we're going to start with Crawford. We're going to go to Des and Stuart, and then, of course, we'll go to Frank, um, and we'll just share with us where you're calling in from and dialing in from, and, of course, what you're talking about today. Real quick, um, go ahead. Crawford, all yours. Hey, welcome. Uh, th uh, thanks, everybody, for having me. Crawford Del Pret, president of IDC. Uh, calling uh, from the Boston area, uh, where we have a raging ice storm going on right now. Um, I'll be talking about the state of overall IT demand, what's going on with the supply chain, uh, talk a little bit about tech earnings, future of work, and then uh, really wrap it all up uh, maybe with a little discussion about Web3 and the metaverse. Uh, look forward to it, guys. Thanks for having me back. Metaverse. All right. That's <laughs> what are you guys going to talk about? Where are you guys um, calling in from us? Hi, I'm Des, and I'm calling in from just outside London. Uh, halfway between London and Brighton, actually, if you know England. And I'm the co-founder of Thinkers 50, the most important ranking of management thinkers. And we're going to be talking about the ideas that are going to change the world in 2022. All right. I, I, I'm Stuart. Uh, I'm uh, calling in from uh, my office in a farm about 30 miles out, outside London. Uh, where, where it's very dark and I'm very lonely, so I'm very pleased to be talking <laughs> to you all. And uh, I'll, I'm also the co-founder of Thinkers50, so uh, I'll be embellishing what Des says. <laughs> and Frank. Hi, good to see you all. Frank Schlubman, I'm the CEO of Snowflake, the data cloud company. What are we going to talk about? Well, you'll find out in a few minutes, I guess. Uh, but, uh, you know, we published a book uh, recently called Amp It Up, and uh, the title pretty much says it all, but we're going to unpack that a little bit and, uh, you know, talk about the experiences we've had. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we can regale you with our, uh, our great stories. All right. Okay. Well, all yours. Do a countdown and we'll take it away. All right. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Bala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray and myself, our distinguished guests, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in the World of Digital Giants. Ray's a regular television business and technology news contributor on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, and Wall Street Journal. He's a global sought-after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV, and happy sixth anniversary, my friend. Happy sixth anniversary. What a video. Um, I'm here with my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar. He's the chief, chief digital evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. Executives around the world pay attention to every one of his important and insightful tweets. Um, it's not only inspirational, and when he's not hosting and keynoting or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him on speaking at you know events on Bloomberg and, of course, uh, featuring the insightful analyses here on ZDNet. So thanks a lot. But who do we have today? We've got, I think, a rock star. CEO. Great. What an honor. I mean, we have some of the best and brightest CEOs on our show, and there's no exception to our first guest, Frank Slootman, CEO of Snowflake, and author of a new book, Amp It Up, which I'm uh, really interested to learn more about. Frank is chairman CEO of Snowflake. Frank is one of the tech world's most accomplished executives in enterprise growth, having Snowflake, uh, leading Snowflake to the largest software IPO ever after leading ServiceNow and Data Domain to exponential growth and public markets before that. Snowflake uh, reinvented data management for cloud scale computing, and it completely reimagined the notion of a database management system. 
data is uh, the beating heart of modern enterprise and Snowflake's vision is a world with unlimited access to governed data so every organization can tackle and challenge the opportunities of today and reveal and reveal in the possibilities of tomorrow. Snowflake essentially powers digital transformation in, in, in a sentence. Now, Frank is the author of Amp It Up, leading for hyper growth by raising expectations, increasing urgency and elevating intensity. You can follow Snake, Snowflake on Twitter at SnowflakeDB. Welcome, Frank, to the Shrug TV. You bet. Great to, to be on the program with you today. Thank you, sir. Hey, we're really excited to have you on the show. Normally, we'd be talking about all cool things Snowflake, but you wrote a book, and we're going to feature the book. The book is amazing, and what we're talking about here is really your experiences um, along the way. So let's start about the app it up. Why'd you write the book? Uh, why is it important to you, and how do we get started here? So, You know, it's it's a really good question. I'm still trying to figure out what the answer to that, that question is, because um, I needed a book project like I needed a hole in the head. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what, what happened was over the last, whatever, 10, 12 years, you know, people keep coming over to Transom with, hey, you guys ran, you know, three very successful companies, you know, different technology, different eras, different, different everything. Uh, what's the secret sauce? You know, is there is there a playbook we can extract from you that we can then, you know, repurpose and, and use ourselves? And uh, you know we can't really accommodate that conversation with thousands of people. Obviously, when you when you have a day job, so you know writing a book is sort of the the next best thing. And what I really was trying to do, I wanted to answer that question, right? I'm I'm not here to preach to the world like here's the world according to Frank. I really don't care whether people agree or disagree with us. I'm just trying to answer the question. You know what we think. What is our best guess as to why these companies were you know uh, were consecutively successful over this period of time and massively outperformed uh, the competition uh, in the process. So that's what the, what the book is. And uh, you know, the title of it, you know, Amp It Up, it's a call to action. It pretty much says it all, right? Um, and something everybody can do. Literally, in your next email, your next meeting, you can amp things up. And that's really what the book tries to, uh, you know, capture and, and explain and sort of unpack. It's, it's amazing. I, I'm a member of the CNBC Technology Council, and uh, we had the privilege of having you present to us last year, you know, 50, 60 executives of the biggest brands in the world. And we, the, I remember the audience being so engaged with your lessons and your guidance. Uh, you truly are, are, are a mentor to other, other executives. And you talked about declaring war on mediocrity and raising the sense of urgency. And these biggest executives of the biggest companies were, you know, taking notes and listening to every word you said. So can you, can you describe your keys to enterprise growth? Because you've had an exceptional track record of doing just that, growing businesses. Well, it starts off by deciding that you're going to lean into growth and, uh, and make that your, your singular uh, purpose. You know, people get up every day and there's a lot of lack of prioritization. Uh, what are we going to do? Um, you know, as a result, you know, the lack of focus, you know, resources get frittered away. Uh, the urgency is not there. People don't understand, you know, what we're doing first and last. And, you know, a lot of CEOs and leaders, they just preside, but they don't drive, right? And you should have got to do a gut check with yourself. Am I driving, you know, every moment of the day or am I sort of kind of, you know, watching things, uh, things happen? And might be a bit of a caricature the way I'm characterizing things, but it's it's not too far off, you know, what happens. So, you know, as, as a leader, you have to amp yourself up, you know, your whole mental mindset, uh, you know, has to, you know, you know, for, first of all, you know, we want to get strong mission posture, right? In other words, why are we here? What are we trying to do? Because that anchors absolutely everything. If you don't have strong mission posture, I don't even know. I mean, you know, a mission is not about making the numbers for the quarter. <laughs> you know, that's, that is not it, right? Because who, who's going to get excited about that? You know, this is execution is, 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 is a discipline. But the purpose, you know, why are we here uh, is, is incredibly important. Now, one, once you have that mission posture, now you can start to prioritize and resource and focus and align everything as it relates to that mission. You also start to fight off everything that, you know, has no relevance to that mission. That is super important because, you know, people will often say yes to a lot of things when they should be saying no, right? You should be saying no a million times a day, you know, and, and really filter, you know, through the lens of that mission. You know, why am I even having that conversation, right? So, you know, if, once you really lean into the mission and the more, the more crisply and the more potently you define that end state, that future state that you're trying to achieve, 
and then bring everything else in, in, in alignment of that. Yeah. I mean, the whole place is going to start feeling elevated and energized and, you know, it's hard to hold it back. You know, it's like unleashing the wild horses, you know, and uh, it's very fun to be there because every, every high performer wants to be in an ener energized workplace. They don't want to swim in glue, right? They, they, they don't want to have that. I'm um, just going through the motions and checking boxes and trying to get things up, up my desk. Good enough. Basketball. And that, that sucks the life out of people and our organization. So you, you want to, you want to kill that, you know, at, at every turn. And when I say every turn, every encounter, every meeting, every conversation, every check-in, you have an opportunity to change the energy, the dynamic, the urgency, and all those things. So this sounds like, oh yeah, yeah, sounds like a good idea, but you know, there is so much room for upping the performance, you know, that, that lives in that margin. And by the way, you see it in professional sports, right? Um, you know, we're watching a lot of football, obviously, these days, you know, when, when, when these teams operate a fraction of a second faster, you know, and they upset the rhythm, you know, of, 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 of the opposing team, right? And all of a sudden, the momentum shifts and changes, right? So, and this is, this is the X factor. This is what everybody can unlock if they really, really want to, you know. I love that. The, the last two weekends of NFL absolutely demonstrated the moments, micro moments of excellence makes a difference. Sorry, Ray, go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, big, big shift. And of course, you know, I mean, when you think about that intensity of focus that you're talking about is, is so important, but it's also making a bunch of conflicted choices. And that's the thing that stuck uh, to me as I was going through the book and going through some of the conf uh, comments that you have. Those conflicted choices, like what like how do you make those decisions how do people know how to make those conflicted choices uh because if you don't make them you just end up languishing as you were talking about earlier yeah you le you learn obviously by doing uh, i mean the worst thing you can do is having you know a whole powerpoint slide with 12 priorities on them because that means you have none okay you've already lost you're already done for right but they think they're they're intellectually really smart because i've thought about everything yeah you've thought you thought about everything and you thought about nothing okay and uh, the, the question I always ask people, and it's, 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 a, it's one of my favorite intellectual exercises, and that is, look, if you can't do anything else this year, you have to pick one thing. You can't do anything else. you got to pick one. What would it be and why? Okay, and just for the sake of, of the exercise of trying to figure out, you know, what is the highest leverage, most important thing that we have to focus on and resource properly that's another issue right because when you when you're not focused you're frittering away your resources and you know again you know we're a mile wide and inch deep and you're not progressing and you have no velocity and all these all these kinds of things so how do you how do you do the right thing and first of all you know you need to prioritize even when you don't know how to do it okay uh, because you, you need you, you learn by doing you get feedback when you do things like whether you're in the, whether you're in the right path you're in the wrong path Right. So and then you adjust and you adjust. Prioritization is something that you do all the time. You know, I am never certain that I'm doing it correctly. So I'm always paranoid checking, you know, whether I'm doing it right or not. But prioritizing is, is probably the, the worst you know, way out of that, uh, that dilemma. It isn't easy. That, that's why these jobs are hard. You can be wrong. That's the whole point of it. You know, absolutely. By the way, when I listen to you, I feel so good about myself and Ray because clearly you chose to be on the show. So for someone who intensely prioritizes, we're so grateful that you're here. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's, it's not easy to uh, you know crawl through that eye of the needle. Let me tell you because it, it, we sure. do say no a lot, and uh, you know sure. we're, we're we're trying to be nice about it, but at the same time. Look, I have a day job. You know, there's there's right. only so much time we can spend on, on on other stuff before we feel it starts interfering. Yeah. Absolutely. So at the beginning, you talked about being mission driven leader and how important it is for the entire company, all stakeholders to understand the mission. And it's not meeting the target you know, revenue number. How do you how do leaders, how do you advise, how do you coach your team to adopt this mission driven leadership style and keep it, especially during you know, difficult times like the last 22 months with the pandemic? Well, one of the things that I, uh, I talk about in the book is this whole notion of incrementalism and how much I hate it. Um, God. <laughs> oh my God, it's ridiculously painful torture. Yeah, but it's, it's human nature to start with where you are and then sort of inch forward, you know, mm -hmm. marginally. And again, it sucks the life out of organizations and it sucks the life out of conversations and meetings. Instead, you know, instead of, you know, assuming that the starting point is what it is, why don't we envision the end state, you know, the future that we want to achieve? 
because now, now, you know, it's all bets are off. We can imagine the craziest stuff that we can possibly think about. And, and we can, we can, you know, we, we can talk about it. We can try it out for science. And all of a sudden the dynamic is completely different. And we're now energized because we're excited about what we're, what we're embarking on. Now, once you start sort of getting a, a glimpse of what you're trying to do, now you can work your way back, you know, from that future state to the present, right? And that's really how I prefer to have, uh, that, that's a mental mindset I prefer to have about everything. Let's work our way back from the future as opposed to, oh, you know, I did 100, you know, last year, so I'm going to do 110 this year. I'm, I'm already exhausted just talking about it here, okay? Um, so <laughs> declaring war on incrementalism is, is, is just such a great organizational dynamic technique that you can just adopt in every conversation. If I had nothing, if I had no history, what would I do? And by the way, you, the, the, the threats coming at you are all from people who have no history. They have no ships to burn. Okay. They come with nothing. They are not constrained by the past. And you have already, you know, talked yourself into a corner where, where the past is already, you're already a prisoner of your own past. Don't let that happen. You know, you know that. that happens a lot. Uh, especially in companies, companies with history, companies that middle age out, uh, and, and it's hard. So how do you keep that frame shift that's required to drive hyper growth, right? I mean, it's just not natural for people to do this, right? And, and you see companies languish all the time. They just keep changing the people at the top. They keep changing people at the bottom. They bring some folks. The middle like rots out. I and mean, we've seen this happen across the valley. And it happens when you hit about 20 to 30 years in. It happens when people are focused on, you know, return on EBITDA. They're not even thinking about anything else. They, they've lost sight. Like, how do you re-inspire? Like, how do you get that frame shift in place? Yeah, well, it's a mindset that's really, really easy for me because the only conversation I want to have anyways. But uh, it, it's a leaning in, uh, you know, kind of a thing, right? Um, you know, for example, uh, you know, sometimes I have an organization that's just barely getting to, you know, one one segment of the business is barely getting to the numbers, and then I find people are making excuses. Oh, you know, you know, the people in Australia are awful in January, so that's why. No, look, <laughs> bullshit. Okay, we all show up every single quarter. Okay, if Australia is on vacation in January, you're going to find it somewhere else. Okay, so there's this discipline like we all show up every period and uh we have no excuses zero uh that changes the mindset once people know there's no excuses they start thinking differently okay yeah. and you know i i remember a conversation years ago i talked about it in the book as well you know i i i think this is a data domain and i always ask the sales leadership to tell me what their ideas are about next year in other words mm -hmm. instead of me telling them what it's going to be i'll ask them right so they came up with a number, you know, hundred million or whatever it was for the year. And uh, they said, well, is, is that the best you can do? And they're like, well, you know, we got to do all these things. And I'm like, well, if you had to do 125, you know, what would you do differently? You know, if, you, if it had to be 125 instead of 100. And they started rattling off a whole list of things. And I'm like, well, why don't we do that then? Okay. My job is really easy, really. <laughs> and, and, you know, the reality is people have far more room up than they realize. You know, I cannot repeat that enough times. Like that, that potential, it's all about leaning in. It's like skiing. You got to get over your skis. And we, we, we talked about skiing earlier. Yeah. Get over your skis. The skis are designed to get over. Instead, people are on their heels, you know, because they're afraid. Like, oh, if I... If I'm too aggressive, I'm too bold, and I don't make it, I'll look back. No, no, no. You know what? <laughs> You'll look back, leaning back. Yeah, right. So, Skiing on your heels does not end well. We all know that. You know. So. Well, I'm gonna end. I'm gonna end with a sports-related question or comment, and I hope this doesn't mean that you and I won't speak again because I don't know who you root for, but uh, but you kind of remind me of Tom Brady, um, and it's not an <laughs> it's not an age thing. I'm just I'm just saying because if exponential growth was a Super Bowl. At Data Domain, you won a Super Bowl big time. At ServiceNow, you won a Super Bowl big time. And the largest IPO ever. If it's Snowflake, you won a Super Bowl big time. And I can tell you're not a guy that looks in the past. You know, that's the past and you're moving forward. But I remember listening to you talk about your dad giving you advice when you were working on pretty crappy jobs summertime when you were a teenager. And you were telling him how hard it was. And he said, son, if you don't want to do that, get better grades. And that was a moment where you realized, all right, I have a path away from doing these really hard, hard work. And I, I believe what I, from my memory, it was a pivotal moment for you. So now that you, like Tom Brady, you've had multiple Super Bowls, who inspires you? Like, who, where do you go for inspiration? Because you keep, you have the same intensity as you had when you started your career. 
Well, you, you, by the way, you greatly flatter me uh, talking about Tom Brady because I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Uh, okay. the, I was nervous. The, I was nervous. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, by the way, you know, one of the reasons why, why I, it's not just, you know, all the stats and all the Super Bowls and all that. What I, what I so like about Brady is he only cares about the game. You know, he, he doesn't want to do victory laps and, and self-congratulates. He only cares about the game. And by the way, therein lies his secret, okay? This intense focus on the game and, and basically blocking out everything else. I mean, if anybody has mission posture, you know, it's Tom Brady, you know. Um, so we, we can all learn from that. Hell, I try to learn from it, you know, every day because it's it inspires me greatly. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm, I've been inspired by a lot of historical figures. I'm a history buff. I read tons of biographies, people that are long dead. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's, unfortunately there were, there were a lot more great people in the past than in the present, <laughs> at least, you know, in my perception of the world. Um, so, you know, and, and by the way, that's fine, you know, um, because some things just endure and are timeless and, uh, you know, they, they don't have to be of a contemporary, uh, you know, uh, nature. So, you know, I, 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 I greatly admire personal courage and, uh, you know, the people that have exhibited that to extraordinary degrees in, in history, you know, that that's something where it, it leaves me breathless, you know, uh, sometimes. And I, uh, that, that's where you get inspiration. You know, that, those are role models in the true sense, uh, you know, of the word. You know. I love that. I love Frank, that. we need more great leaders like you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Frank Slootman, CEO of Snowflake and author of Amp It Up. Definitely check it out on Amazon. A lot of great lessons learned, a lot of great leadership tricks, and more importantly, a principle on actually doing better. So thanks a lot for being on the show, Frank. Tom Brady of the Enterprise. I love right. that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you. Uh, great, great intensity and focus. I love that. As a, you can't tell that I was a former athlete, but I can so relate to his his guidance. Nobody can tell. I was including my kids. No, can't, can't imagine. All right. Talk about individuals that are connecting and shaping the biggest minds in business today. Today we have Des Love and Stuart Craner, co-founders of Thinkers Fifty. Des is a former columnist for the London Times, contributing editor to Strategy Plus Business, and co-editor of the best-selling Financial Times Handbook of Management. Des has taught at some of the world's leading business schools, including IE Business School and the SED Business School at Oxford University, where he's an associate fellow. He's also a visiting professor at Warwick Business School and the author of Archie Green, Trilogy of Children Books. Stuart is the former editor of London Business School's award-winning magazine, Business Strategy Review. Stuart's book uh, credits include The Management Century and the biography of the management guru, Tom Peters, one of my favorite guests on Disrupt TV. Stuart has taught the international MBA at IE Business School and executive education program around the world, including strategic leadership programs at Oxford University. Stuart also is a visiting professor at Warwick Business School. He's also the author of The Atlantic Crossing, based on the experience sailing the Atlantic. Welcome, Des and Stuart, to the Shrub TV. Thank you very much. It's very nice to be here. You've moved from a rock star CEO to two English buskers. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> the rock stars are the rock stars. The rock. You're the, you're, you're the king makers. What are you, king and queen makers? It's an honor to have you on our show. An honor. Massively honored. Very pleased Thank to be here. Yeah. So Des, Stuart, I mean, you guys are celebrating the 20th anniversary last year. Um, let's get to the origin story. How did it all start? Like, what like, were you guys thinking about? Like, hey, how do we get people together? Or how do we bring a great group of cohorts? I mean, what happened? And what, how was that story? Well, as you can probably imagine, it was a lot It was a lot more sort of simple than that. We, we were working, doing some work for an organization that was part of the Financial Times and they wanted a, a kind of a vehicle to launch um, a website. We're back in the, you're too young to remember the dot com days. You know, it, it was like it was 2000. It was that time. And we were having a pizza. Actually, we were in a, in a restaurant and Stuart and I looked at each other and said, well, no one's done a ranking of the management gurus. Mm -hmm. So it was a journalistic exercise to try to kind of get some attention to this to this new portal, as they were called in those days. Um, and it kind of grew from there, really. Um, so, no, there was no there was no grand plan. It was simply a sort of a, a cheap journalistic trick to try to get people to tune into, you know, what was going on. But it, it just then took on a life of its own. 
<laughs> and Stuart, that cheap journalistic trick is now. <laughs> but it's moved on somewhat. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I think our, our realization was that um, there's so much stuff out there. Even even 20 years ago, there was a, a deluge of books, conferences, articles, magazines, ideas, and there was a lot of stuff out there. And uh, the Thinkers 50, the, the mission really was to to make it easier for people to uh, sort out the good stuff from the bad stuff. So we describe what we do as scanning, ranking, and sharing the very best in management ideas. So we publish our ranking every, every two years. The last one was in November 2021, taught by Amy Edmondson uh, from Harvard Business School. And we also announced the Thinkers 50 radar list of 30 thinkers to watch. That comes out every January. We just announced one. Uh, and every September, we announce new members of the Thinkers 50 Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. And we also have our Thinkers 50 Awards, which the Financial Times very helpfully and entirely accurately described as the Oscars of management thinking. So we're involved with a constant stream of uh, content creation and, and, and events. That's amazing. Our most viewed uh, Disrupt TV, which I think is about 300,000 views, is Tom Peters. So Hall of Fame. Uh, Thinkers 50. Yeah, we, we gave Tom a, a lifetime achievement award a couple of years ago. Yeah. No, um, no what, a, what a guy. What a, what a guy. I mean, you know, I, 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 we talked to him uh, and, and I always feel like the, it's, 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 it's getting an MBA course when he comes on Disrupt. Uh, I feel like I've got three credits or six credits of college <laughs> uh, uh, um, education. So, so in the 2021 ranking, you decided um, 11 to 50 would be just not ranked. So you, for the first time, it was the top 10 and then 11 to 50. But I want to go back to the, at the beginning, how politically charged, how much pressure did you feel ranking these folks from Clay Christensen to, you know, to, to the biggest authors and academics and business leaders in the world? Did you... Was, did you do it to a committee? Did you litmus test the one versus two versus three? Because I've done rankings before for Huffington Post and Inc. Magazine and, and CDNet. And I got to tell you, I, 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 am, I have butterflies. Uh, the, the whole time I'm nervous. <laughs> so, so can you tell me about the process and how you guys agreed to do this? Well, you, you are talking to the committee. Um, okay, <laughs> great, great. No, we, 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 we created a cr 10 criteria. It's always good to have, you know, a, sure. a, a good sort of scientific process. So so we, we have 10 criteria that we've, we've applied. And then it's, that's sort of changed over time a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, when we started, there, there wasn't social media. So we were just kind of evaluating media hits, um, things like, um, you know, we, we, try to, we try to gauge influence. And one of the things we use for that is the number of academic citations. So, oh. so there is a methodology which makes life easier. But as you know, if you've done rankings, it's fine until you get down into the fine detail of who's number 46. Versus <laughs> yeah. 45. And who you exclude, because 51 yeah. is extraordinary. 52 is extraordinary. So oh, where you make that cutoff is, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Our board's yeah. not big enough, Bala. <laughs> what's happened with the Thinkers 50 as well is over time, when we started, I mean, management thinking and management ideas was dominated by Americans, Amer American men from Harvard Business School, Wharton. And what's happened over time is that it's really transformed and now it's truly global. So if you're looking for the best management ideas, you've got to be looking at uh, people in, in China doing, doing research and running companies in China and, and elsewhere. So it's become much more uh, truly, truly global. And that's and much more difficult as a result, much more, yeah. much more challenging in a way, because you can't just simply look at the, the, the American business schools, you know, the, the classic places you would expect to look, Stanford and Harvard and places like that, mm -hmm. um, and, the, and the top consulting firms. It, it, it's, it's, it, it's totally global now. So we increasingly rely on the eyes and ears of people in the community mm -hmm. and other people to, to sort of tell us who to look at as well. So I think, you know, that's, that's been a, you know, a godsend, really. Yeah, I know. And you, you picked up things like my former colleague at Forrester, Navi Raju on Jugad Innovation, which was- We love Navi. Navi's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. brilliant. He's and it's amazing brilliant. kind of concepts, right? And, and I can't believe how many, of, how many of our people you've had on your show as well. It's, it's um, you know, it's good. That sort of, it, that endorses what we're doing, that you you invite them on the show. That's fantastic. Oh, we don't bring We've had, I think, in total, maybe close to 20, but about 16 in the last year. And I have to tell you, it's, uh, they're all- without exception uh and it's funny they're great storytellers i mean they, they just have a way of 
inspiring us in such a short amount of time. So go ahead, Ray. Yeah. So it's, 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 yeah, it's, no, it's they bring us in, they relate, right. And you're sitting on top of some of the top ideas. And so we would be remiss in not <laughs> having right. you share with us what you see the future is based on some of these great ideas, this great thinking that's going on uh, that you're watching and that you have as well in your, in your minds. So share with us what you're seeing, what's coming up for 2022 and beyond. Yeah. I, I mean, think, I think we just, we, go on. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think a big change we, we've seen is that when we started 20 years ago, all the ideas were about improving performance, improving shareholder value and things like that, improving market share. And what's changed over the 20 years is that the thinkers we feature all want to change the world now. They want to make the world a better place. So mm -hmm. the dialogue has, has, has really changed. So you can see that the, the people we featured on the Thinkers 50 radar, we've, which we've just announced, 30 Thinkers to Watch, which we've just uh, done in partnership with Deloitte for the first time. What's interesting there is people focusing on the big issues. So you've got somebody like Ronnie Chatterjee from Duke uh, talking about can business save the earth? You've got it, Azim As 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 Azar, who's from uh, the UK, who's the author of a book called Exponential, or Julie Bi Julia Binder of IMD talking about sustainable innovation. So I think the... Those are the kind of the, the big idea, the big ideas facing the world are now embraced by management thinkers. And I think the, the other thing that's coming through from the radar is that a strong focus on the human side of technology. And, that, and, that, and that's, that's re really strong. I think you could say that the first uh, decade of this century was a kind of a celebration of entrepreneurship and the dot-com boom and VCs. And then the last decade was, was about uh, the 2010s was all about technology, AI, augmented reality, and so on. And I think this decade, from the thinkers we're featuring and, and coming across, is all about the humanity, making sense of the technology, making it work for people. And I think that's, that's a really strong message from the people we feature. I think the other thing that's coming through is, is as you would expect, you know, we, we talk about talent shortages. It's like there's a, there's a huge realization now that, that you know, we, we've got to, we've got to do, we've got to, really widen the ideas pool so so the diversity and the equality and the inclusion agenda is a business agenda it's not about doing sure. the right thing it's about sure. it's just it's just the right thing and the smart thing to do to, to involve more people and i think that's reflected in the radar list as well that, that we you know got a lot of people with with some really strong messages in that space as well which is fantastic you know are these examples of how your approach was disrupted over the last two decades in terms of first building a list of folks that are driving results for shareholders. And now 20 years later, people are driving holistic success for stakeholders, where it's not just about market share and revenue and EBITDA, but it's about sustainability, equality, trust. So core values are now really uh, uh, drive folks that are, are doing the best and most important thinking in the world of business. Yeah, I mean, I think we've learned the important. We've learned along the way the importance of trust, community, and openness. Um, last year, Leon Prieto and, and Simone Phipps won our Breakthrough Idea Award for their work around cooperative advantage. Mm. I mean, that's kind of saying co competitive advantage is history. We should be thinking about cooperative advantage, and we and we really tried to put this to work with uh, our, the stuff we do. Uh, and our emphasis on making ideas available to as many people as possible and truly sharing ideas and insights. So we give people the, the platform to share, share the ideas. And what's interesting, the people you're featured on, on the show, people like um, Alex Ostervaldo, Rita wow. McGrath, Neil Lipper Merchant, they, they all like sharing ideas. They're really yeah. genuinely interested in, in, in the dialogue. And I think that's what marks people like Amy Edmondson apart from the, from the, the other people, I think. But Ray and I have had the good fortune of actually in-person engagements with these folks, uh, whether it's Alex or or um, Rita yeah. and, and and others. So you know we actually break bread with them, and it's they're they're so good. Uh, you know uh, when you when you have the opportunity to meet, meet with them in person. Has anybody asked you guys uh, about your favorite? thinkers of all time or no is that that's it's like asking about your favorite child that's not that's no, it's a bit like, we, we can, i think one of the I, I, to Stuart's point too i think one of the big disruptors for us was we started off as journalists so we were professional skeptics in a way and we came mm -hmm. to them as i said with a journalistic eye and um 
you know, I remember my editor at the time as being as, assuming that all the management thinkers were, it was all smoke and mirrors. It was all snakeskin. You know, it's like that was the assumption. And, and then we knew because we were working in the field that, that, that there was there were nuggets of gold as well as the full sure. gold. Sure. So we that's partly, you know, that's what we were trying to do with the, with the ranking. Um, but the thing I think the big the big moment that changed our point of view and disrupted us was we got to know C.K. Pralad. Ah, yes. Who, uh, who was the originator of core competencies and, and, yeah. and co-creation and then um, latterly and significantly the fortune at the bottom of the pyramid. And there he was saying, you know, business done right can actually relieve poverty. It can it can lift wow. people out of this, you know. And so he was talking to the, we got to them quite well and we were talking to these two skeptics and he he disrupted us. He he made us realize that these ideas actually really could change the world and they were important. Um, and that was, you know, that was a that was a kind of a Damascan moment really for us to to, to get it. And um, you know, I'm not, we were on the journey anyway, but he really he really accelerated us on that that. journey. So yeah, no, so he would be certainly a name, Clay Christensen also. Oh the the originator of disruptive innovation. He is another yeah. Um, sadly no longer with us but yeah. um, maybe that's okay Standing on the wheel giant yeah. Yeah. mental ray, ray, ray and i again had a chance to meet with professor clay christensen uh had lunch with him at, a, at an event still one of my favorite books how to measure your life i mean went from an hbr article to uh arguably my top five book uh, uh it just really personally impacted how i think and how i want to conduct myself Sorry, Ray, go ahead. Oh, no, it, was, it was the inspiration for my second book because I was looking at what he was talking about on the levels of innovation and how people were actually skimming off money and actually feeding short-term EBITDA. Uh, and that completely set my mind as I wrote my last book. I was like, yeah, you know, this is a big shift in terms of the thinking. We've also had Ram Sharan on as well at our conference, and that's always been great. Uh, he always looks the same, has the same outfit. Uh, we know the story <laughs> behind that on the back end. Uh, but another great thinker along the way. Um, what does that mean when, when we go out and we look at the next greats, right? Because this is a conversation Val and I have been having. It's like, who are those next greats? Who are the ones that are emerging people we should look at? The radar has been an amazing place. We want them on our show, selfishly. Yeah, we want them on our show. <laughs> we want to learn from them. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the radar list is a good place to start. We've, we've had some, mm. we're very sort of slightly pleased with ourselves in a certain way because a couple of people that we've picked on the radar have then come really delivered you know, we say these are the people with potential and promise, but a couple of people have actually really delivered and, and they're in the ranking now. So Erin Meyer, mm. a professor at INSEAD, she wrote a book called The Culture Map and we put her on the radar. Um, and then, you know, just she says she looked in her email box and there was a note from Reed Hastings, you know, CEO of Netflix. Just, <laughs> Could you come and talk to Netflix? Because they were about to expand into awesome. you know, 90 countries all at once. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, Aaron's written a book with Reed and, um, you know, we spent some time with Reed and, and, and helped kind of hopefully, you know, make that make that combination work. But it's a fantastic book. But yeah, no, it, it, it's it, look at the radar and, and some of these people will be the next stars. We promise. Yeah. The country, the personal <laughs> team mapping is amazing. What Aaron put out there. I mean, it's just some great ideas that are, you know, in play. Um, you know, when you think about where that future is for the Thinkers 50, like, what does it mean? Like, what's going to be the, you know, impact? If you were to go back and look, let's say, 20 years from now, like, what will that look like? Have you guys thought through that? Well, <laughs> I'll go for that one. I mean, you know, in a sense, it's interesting, you know, um, hearing Frank talk about mission. You know, our mission is, is very simply to be the world's most reliable, everybody written here, most reliable resource for identifying, ranking and showing the leading management ideas of our age. And the second part is ideas that can make a real difference in the world. I'd, oh. like, to think, oh. I'd like to think going forward that, that some of these ideas will, will get some traction and we'll be able to look back and say, not that we're going to take the credit for it, but just, just that hopefully, hopefully we've, we've shared some of the ideas that, that can actually, you know, make a difference. That's a, that's a great that's a great mission, and I can tell you they're just nice people. You know, when I talk to Dory Clark, she's just 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 the most brilliant, humble person. So Whitney Johnson, they, they're just they're just good people. Like uh, you know, so you do a great job. I don't know if it's intentional or not, where you look at you know likability. That's I not a you, criteria. I, I, no. I like all of them. <laughs> so, anyway. and Stuart, what's your view? Where do you see that future? Um, 
Well, I think the, the future, what we're interested in is ideas that, ma that make a difference, as Des Durability. said. Yeah. Well, we want, we want ideas that we, yeah. I, went, I went to Malaysia to see um, uh, the, things they've done in Malaysia, various initiatives and programs inspired by Blue Ocean Strategy, the book by Chang Kim and Rennie Mo Byrne. Sure. And whatever, you, whatever you think about the book, it's just incredible. So we, we met them when they were writing the book. They, they wrote the book. And now the government of Malaysia is putting all these programs into place inspired by the book. So I think we will continue to be excited by um, ideas making the transition to, to, to reality. And, and I think there's an awful lot of issues and problems facing the world. So ideas have never been more, more important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for putting the list together. It certainly uh, is an, an impactful list. Uh, without exception, folks that are on the list, I mean, when you go to their bios on social media, the first reference is at Thinkers 50. So, uh, so, so you're clearly, you know, uh, helping us be inspired and educated by, by connecting us to the best and brightest people in the world. So I, I greatly appreciate the work that you do. You know, we're here with the Thank Oscars you. of management thinking, the folks that are making impact and durable ideas that are being put into use. Um, thanks so much for being here. Uh, Des Durlov, Stuart Craner, co-founders of Thinkers 50. Follow the handle Thinkers 50. Check out the website. Check out the radar. Um, you're definitely going to see some of the brightest and most impactful individuals uh, along with you two. So for making it happen. <laughs> thanks, Bert. And congratulations on 20 years. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank Cheers. you. Thank you. Yeah, wow. it's uh, it's uh, and now we're going to end the show with someone who should be on any any list that speaks to extraordinary thinking. Hey guys, do it. <laughs> making a big impact. Uh, Crawford Del Pret, president of IDC. Uh, Crawford was appointed president of IDC in 2019. Prior to his current role, Crawford serves as IDC's uh, chief operating officer. Uh, throughout his uh, leadership, IDC has established uh, as a leading position as the world's most prominent and trusted technology market intelligence provider. Crawford is a uh, leading authority on the IT industry and has completed extensive research on structure and evolution of information technology industry. Crawford advises technology and business leaders on how to adapt and change in times when technology is changing the world. He's frequently quoted on Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, New York Times, all of the biggest uh, media outlets. He's also a regular guest on Bloomberg Television, offering insights and perspective. He was awarded the Patrick J. McGovern Award for Management Excellence and uh, was awarded IDC's James Peacock Award for Research Excellence, which is the highest research honor at IDC. You can follow him at CRAW, so you can tell he was an early adopter, C-R-A-W. And I have to say, Crawford helped launch Disrupt TV as our number two guest. Absolutely. Uh, so welcome back, CRAW. Hey, thanks Super for having me, guys. You guys are awesome. It's so great to... Be listening to the show and you know a lot of a, a, a lot of reflection you know i mean it was great to hear from frank it was <clears throat> it was great to hear from uh the thinkers folks i mean you guys have done a great job you've really and 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 i think and i'm reflecting on my career you know it's funny and i ray you can probably relate to this when you're a when you grow up as an analyst you kind of you kind of don't get credit for the management or the the running the the business side of a, of a company, but, you know, when I think about what Frank is doing, you know, a lot of that is is was really resonated in terms of you know what we've tried to bring at IDC, what I've tried to bring to the company. You know, if you're gonna be here, if you're gonna be focused on a business, you know, time is short, life is short, careers are short. You gotta you gotta you, you gotta focus on the stuff that matters. And you know, I just want to give you one quick anecdote. You know, when I became president of IDC now about three years ago, I sat down with the management team and I said, look, this is the time. It's before COVID, before this is the time the technology is changing everything. And so we changed our our vision, and that is to change the way the world thinks about the impact of technology on business and society. And every single day, I repeat that. Every single day I inspire and push and try to get the analysts to really think about you know, how is, make our customers think differently about this. Find that nugget. And I think that that kind of uh, passion and that kind of focus, it's super important today because there are too many people that just put it on autopilot. I've known you for 11 years, uh, before you were the chief research officer, before you were CEO and before you were president. And you had that same mission-led mentality as an analyst, uh, you know, serving the interests of your clients. So it doesn't surprise me that your career from an analyst uh, <laughs> with a trajectory of being <laughs> president. You. 
because you've been intensely focused on customer success and and uh and uh that that, that makes you actually very unique so congrats i appreciate that very much thanks thanks Bob. you know and hey related to that i mean you've been an essential resource to a lot of companies that are coming out of the pandemic um you're definitely a resource during the pandemic but coming out of the pandemic is a little bit different we kind of title it uh the great refactoring right yep. you know business purposes missions are changing the transformation is changing the values are changing among work life uh, the values are changing in terms of what a company's responsibilities are right and the business models are, are tougher than ever right yep. uh, and this great refactoring is happening like what do you see what are the big trends you guys are tracking you think are important uh that that people watch should know. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Well, for starters, <clears throat> you know, COVID, you know, technology really saved the day uh, mm -hmm. in COVID, and 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 we have seen a trend unlike anything else we've ever seen. And you know, I talked about this when we, I think we talked a year and a half ago or so. But let me just put some finer points on it. When COVID hit, the first we we had never really seen this trend before, and that was that GDP dropped about four percent. Now, every yeah. every time GDP drops, tech drops harder, except for in COVID. In COVID, tech dropped about four, uh, GDP went negative. Yeah, okay, fine. Tech went from about 6% growth to about 3% growth. But then it rocketed back. We saw last year in 2021, technology grew 10%. Now, as watchers of the industry, you guys will know, you know, IT hasn't grown 10% in over 20 years. Okay, we've never seen that kind of, of, of a rocket back. So companies really did, and they are leaning into tech to make people more productive, to keep people connected, to figure out a way for people to collaborate in a world when they can't be together. And, and, and I think now what we're seeing is, and you're seeing this on Wall Street, you're seeing it in general, is that it's it's a little bit people are feeling for what the future looks like and there's kind of this spastic behavior and you saw it in the quarterly earnings you know just mm -hmm. recently where you know people will see you know microsoft will have a blowout quarter and the stock will go down <laughs> and then and, and then and it's because people kind of like well is it is it really better or is this the future or is it or are we just looking in the review mirror here and 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 so um, expectations are incredibly uncertain right now mm -hmm. because we don't know what the rotation out of the world's never in the modern world gone from a global pandemic to a global endemic. And, you know, that's where we're going, right? We're not going to get a big signal that basically says it's all over. You can all come out of the cave now. You know, I mean, you know, this is going to be a spastic, you know, recovery. And, and, and I, and I suspect what you're going to see is a lot of this over the next six months. Now, I believe that there's an opportunity in the United States for us by springtime to really have this feel like we figure out how to live with it and we're starting to, to move forward and, and we're rotating into, into physical events. But that doesn't mean that the world wants to come back to work and be in the office uh, for all that, that, that same amount of time. But that's what the conversation is about right now is what does this rotation to an endemic look like? And that's what everyone's feeling for um, right now. And, and, and we think what it means is companies are going to lean into automation. They're going to lean into trying to figure out how to automate the repetitive tasks and how to human how to have humans deal more with the exceptions, how to how to how to up level people's skills in general so that, you know, they um, they they can be more effective um, in their roles. And I think that's going to be, you know, a big part of the next few years is a selectively applying this automation to get more productivity and be able to have the, uh, the whole company focus on higher value tasks. That makes a lot of sense, and I'm, and I'm a bit familiar with companies that have blow up quarter after <laughs> quarter after quarter, and not correlating that to yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's it's very very, and, and again, it's because of this massive uncertainty right now. Absolutely. So I looked at the IDC forecast report recently, and said direct digital transformation investments grew at a rate of about sixteen and a half percent projected from 2022 to 2024 right. as compared to 15.5K GAR for 2022 to 2023. Uh, Investment levels, again, projected for the next three years, 2022 to 24, expected to reach 6.3 trillion. And that's about 55% of all ICT investments by the end of 2024. So when you are Frank talk about having a sense of urgency and amping it up and really being focused on you know, transformation that can add value to all stakeholders, is digital transformation, has pandemic been an accelerant for what may have been a 2024 CIO roadmap agenda pulled back to 2022 
and yeah. digital transformation is really going to make or break companies moving forward in the next three years. A hundred percent. So COVID was an accelerant to technology investment. And I think that what we don't fully understand yet is, and, and we don't believe it's necessarily the case, is was COVID something where we pulled forward demand that we would have spent anyway? Or was it that companies use this time to modernize their infrastructure and then we'll keep investing um, going forward? Our suspicion is that it's more the latter, that we're going to see sustained IT demand in that 4 to 6% range uh, going forward, at, starting in 2022 and really out to about 2025. And that's because companies leaned into this technology. And, and frankly, the barriers to entry have dropped so dramatically. Um, we have so many more people who can now write code, use low-code and no-code um, apps, people that can work part-time, they can code part-time, they can help companies create create and invent new solutions. So what are we seeing, right? We're seeing applications with double digit growth. We're seeing the barriers to companies integrating applications never lower. So what mm -hmm. does that mean? It means now you've got, so an application typically has um, you know, at least two interdependencies with other applications. Mm -hmm. Well, now it's not uncommon to see an app with seven or eight or nine dependencies with other applications. We're seeing, you know, you saw it last night with Amazon or two nights ago, uh, 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 actually last night, you saw, um, you, you saw that, you know, the cloud is not about any one cloud, it's about multiple clouds. So now it's about connecting those clouds and connecting those applications which are resident in those clouds. So this is gonna, uh, we believe you're gonna see sustained demand for um, uh, a lot of these modern technologies. But let me also like, make it really, really clear. Uh, you take a category that was completely left for dead, like personal computers, right? Nobody wanted to buy a personal computer. That business grew 20% last year. On what planet did you expect that business would grow? And guess what? This year, we think it's probably going to be pretty much flat. So it's not going to give back all that demand. It's that people are going to continue to use these devices to experience a richer, uh, more flexible hybrid world. That's absolutely true. Yeah. No, we're definitely saying that across the board. I remember like you and I were probably texting Michael Doe, hey, we've got a client that needs like a thousand laptops. And I'm sure he's like, uh, I've got to stockpile these for the government. Yeah. <laughs> And, 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 you know, as we talked about, you know, the supply chain, that's a, that's a real challenge. You know, I mean, I, and, and I don't think this is going to get any easier because if, if you think about, you know, some of the supply chain woes that are out there, um, the, what people don't think about is that they hear, oh, well, it's all about semiconductors. Can't you just run the fabs? Well, the, 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 problem, the, the problem is really, really nuanced. Okay. And that is that we're connecting all these low cost gadgets to the internet. We have this thing called a car, which is basically a, a rolling network on wheels. And uh, it's not about the uh, high value chips. The high value chips are actually available. It's about those low cost parts. It's about those parts. So, so in the semiconductor world, you know, when the when the transistors are closer and closer together, it's fewer nanometers. So making a seven or a ten or a nanometer part, those are the really expensive products. It's the hundred nanometer part mm. and the two hundred nanometer. Those are the ones that, frankly, a low cost factory in Asia needs to run. And those low cost factories either haven't been running or there's so much demand those products can't get here. And guess what? You, nobody wants a car where the anti-lock and braking system doesn't work, but the <laughs> but the rest of the system works just fine. So so it, that's the problem: is that to have a whole system, you need a whole spectrum of parts that have uh, that have uh, that have uh, different different price points. And guess what? We can't supply all those right now, and we're probably not going to be able to till the end of this year. We have never been so vulnerable. Um, go ahead, Bob. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, I, I was just going to, you know, we were touching on some of the emerging technologies. One of the things I'm super impressed is, you know, there'll be a Twitter spaces hosted by Aaron Levy talking about Web3 or yeah. Chris Dixon of Andreessen talking about public blockchains and DeFi and NFT. And I'm looking at the, pub, you know, Twitter spaces and I see Crawford popped in. And yeah. I'm like, president of one of the largest analyst firms in the world hanging out in spaces with these like bleeding edge VCs and startup entrepreneurs and founders of unicorn companies. And so, so I, I just, I, I'm, I'm blown away that, that you still are so well connected to these leading thinkers doing stuff that the enterprise might not adopt for years, 
So again, that's just I'm I'm just amazed that you're yeah, here. Yeah, you makes me feel good when I see that. Yeah, yeah, you're very, very, you're very, very kind. I mean, look, Aaron's great, by the way. I love, I love him. Um, he was on the show way, a couple months ago. He was on. Yeah, the show yeah, he's, he's. I actually spoke just spoke to him recently. He's he's awesome. Um, but uh, um, you know, here's the thing. You know, I always think back to you know when I when you know whatever any of us early in our career, right? I you know all this stuff sounds really trite. But if you don't walk the walk, if you don't do it, if you don't care, if you're not passionate about it, then why the heck are you doing it? Like, yeah. like, what, what are you, what are you doing it for? Like, I am the gadget master. Like, I'm always. I know that. I know that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I'm always and 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 I go on these things because I want to learn because because I, I feel like you know if if I if if I'm not passionate about it then why should anyone at IDC be passionate about it? Like, it's just in my DNA. It's why I get up every day. I, and, 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 you know, back in the day when we were, um, when we were all in the office, I really was that guy who'd just drop in, you know, walk through the cubes, hang out. Hey, what are you working on? What are we, and, and, and we would just sit and talk and learn about stuff. And I would actually make, my assistant would block time on my calendar to basically go and, and interact and do that. And, I still, even virtually, we do every month where we just randomly select, you know, 20 people and we all sit and just talk for that. an hour because I want to, it's just, it's, it's an interaction and it's a, it's a passion I have. And I feel like if I can impart it, and by the way, it's really selfish. I'm learning a ton. So oh, in this space, Web3, Meta, all, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it, I mean, there's, there's no books on this stuff. I mean, this no, is no. new, you know, people, 69 million NFT March of last year kind of grew this multi-billion dollar industry and they're all interwoven tokenization of internet public blockchains and all of this and but i see people commenting like bro did you know this president of idc is here yeah. <laughs> and i want to say hey i know this guy <laughs> you know, so. well, anyway, you're not gonna you're not gonna learn any other way so you know you gotta you, you gotta be there but you well, know let's thank you. talk about this right web3 metaverse we're seeing you know DAOs as kind of the the center the governance body the funding mechanism the token economics happen there we're seeing what's going on with crypto and value exchange we're seeing the underpinnings of Web3, the interfaces are all changing, all that kind of yeah. stuff. Back above 40K, Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't comment on any prices. Of yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, I need your disclosure page. How, yeah, yeah, yeah. how is this happening? Is it, is it real? Are we going to have another second life? Will second life get a second life? I mean, like, what, yeah, what? yeah, the second life get a second life. So, <laughs> so for starters, what I find so fascinating is how. Uh, for some reason, and you know, Ray, I know you've forgotten more about this stuff than many people will ever know. But, 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 you know, people bring the conversation of Web three and the metaverse like together, right? Mm -hmm. And and in my mind, you have to kind of start with sussing them apart, which is kind of in my mind, you know, Web three is very much um, using some core technology that's been around for for a while, you know, permission blockchains, um, you know, adding you know DAOs, um, you know, authentication organizations to um, to, to, to virtual goods, right. And being able to, to authenticate that, um, and, and being able to authenticate transactions, provenance, you know, whether you attended an event, whatever, whatever it be. And, and I think that web three, the idea is noble. I think it's going to take a long time before really you see, um, massive, you know, really massive, uh, adoption, um, on a global scale. Um, and, and we'll come back to that in, in a second. The metaverse is, to me, fascinating, right? Um, obviously, you know, what Facebook is doing is a, a lot of, you know, they're, 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 there's a whole other narrative around what was going on with that company and why they pivoted to, to, to meta and why they're looking at the metaverse. But to me, the metaverse, people get confused with virtual and augmented reality. Mm -hmm. To me, the metaverse is about creating a virtual world that yeah. you can participate in. And that virtual world, and people really have to think about this. And that is that you're now participating in a virtual world. You can buy digital goods. They may be digital goods in a game, which takes you back to, you know, how do you verify that transaction, which is back to Web3 and back to NFTs. But it might also be the certification of buying virtual land or 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 a virtual piece of artwork or or whatever. And, and I think what people think about is they think about the gaming aspect of the metaverse. And I think what's much more interesting about the metaverse is, no, 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 you're potentially, when we get there, entering a virtual world that continues when you're not there. Okay. And, 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 it, and, it, and, 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 and so, you know, you might want to buy a piece of virtual land, you might buy some digital goods, but the, the, the world will continue to exist. So I don't think people have sort of understood that, 
you know, giving your kid a credit card to buy a virtual good in a FIFA game on Xbox, that's a way to spend a fast 200 bucks. But if your kid buys, you know, a, a big piece of virtual land or something, and that land goes to zero, you know, I mean, you know, the party doesn't stop just, you know, I mean, basically, you know, this can get really, really complicated and, and, and can continue for, 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 for quite some time. So, I, I think we're 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 it is potentially a second life for second life, but we're we're miles from that. And I also think that what we haven't talked enough about is the bridge between digital goods and physical goods. And I think mm -hmm. it's going to be a very long time. Regulation is there for a reason. It's going to be a very long time before we can have you know physical goods being authenticated by um, DAOs and 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 uh, and 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 you know uh, all, all the things you see on Web three. But the great distinction. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be crazy. So we're going to see a whole bunch of things uh, that are there. Um, but 500 million have been spent on digital land. Think about that. Yeah, already. It's, 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 right? that, that guy that's making $17,000 a week on digital gas. I want in on that. Like, <laughs> who doesn't? Who doesn't? Ray, I have a 19-year-old at, at Bentley. She's in the blockchain club. And she told me many, many months ago, like, are you investing in mana, Decentraland? And, uh, and you know, these gamers, miners, they, they're, they're spending a lot of their time in these digital twin digital worlds and if you're yeah. minecraft roblox or gaming nfl i believe you me you said fast 200 getting these skins that my son buys and yeah. increasing the quarterback rating by you know there's there, this, this just an it is it is it is it is real money in a real digital money. world and real by the way this is a bonanza for b2c brands and B2C brands will continue to, because guess what? You know, Nike shoes are really, really sure. cool in real life. And they're really, really cool in a virtual <laughs> world. <laughs> oh, the street cred of a kid in high school a few years from now is their digital wallet and the NFTs and digital properties they own. Believe you me, that's yeah, the yeah. cool kids uh, yep, in yeah. the future. Very what do you have on your chain? I mean, that's, that's going to be the question. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, we, we've been working about 24 different brands uh, trying to figure out how to get into the metaverse with different strategies. And it, it's, yeah. it's, it ranges, right? It ranges anything from design to what you're trying to do around the DAO to the token economics, right? They're thinking about new business models. But this is definitely a very exciting space that you guys are definitely covering. Uh, we're seeing a lot of interest all across the board everywhere. I mean, from just the hardware, software, a complete stack. So, Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. When is your big event? You're having a big event, right? You normally do this. I'll be there. I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to have, we're having, uh, uh, our directions event March eighth in Boston, and then uh, two weeks later in San Francisco, in Santa Clara. Um, we'd love for people to attend. If you're interested, please contact us. Um, and uh, we're, I look forward. It's going to be the first time in two years that we've had. Uh, a, we, we've done the event obviously virtually, but the first time physically that we'll be there. Um, and so, really looking forward to to seeing everybody and uh, doing some fist bumps. And <laughs> and, uh, and 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 again, you know, fingers crossed, right? I mean, all all signals are go. Uh, we're, we're fingers crossed on a physical event. Exceptional event. I learn a ton every year. So I'm looking Great. forward Thanks to attending. Only Crawford, the president of IDC. Follow him on Twitter at CRAW and check out the event. So thanks a lot for being thanks, here. Guys. Happy Friday. Appreciate it. Thank you. Ray, I'm telling you, yeah, I would go to these Twitter spaces with all these like VCs and startup founders. And he pops up and he's right at the near. And I see people like going back and forth. Oh, look at big guy at IDC is here. So yeah, it's pretty cool. It's like you. you. You know, I see you in spaces. I see you hanging out and talking to folks on social. I'm having so, I'm having yeah, it, it's nice to see CEOs of endless firms, you know, uh, sharing their wisdom. I think that's important. I think people and and people also get validation that their work matters when they get an audience like yourself or Crawford attending these these you know brainstorming and idea and sharing. Uh, okay, recap of. One of the most intense, Tom Brady of Enterprise, first guest, Frank Slootman, to folks that are king and queen makers, to one of the brightest uh, futurists and trusted advisor in the technology space. Your thoughts. By the way, for our six-year anniversary show, what a way to celebrate this show. By the way, kudos to our producer. Because yeah. I got to tell you, Al, Al, Holly, both of you, like you got like an all-star team for our six-year anniversary. So thank you for our producer. Oh, Hannah, thank you very much. I want to thank everybody out here. 
Um, I, I want to thank our guests, our wonderful community. Please keep making suggestions of who we should bring on the show. Um, this year, we're going to focus, you know, after our sixth anniversary, uh, we're going to focus in on, you know, the, the startup CEOs, the founders. We're going to talk about, you know, the authors, the leaders, the big thinkers, right? The, the public company executives uh, that are doing great work, right? The, the makers, the shakers and makers of the world, right? Um, you know, economists, politicians, people that are actually have a tech policy bent that are interesting, right? You know, and, and, and that's really kind of the focus. But Vala, thank you very much. It's been a fun six, six years. So it's a, it's, a um, it's it's the one of the greatest partnerships uh, and uh, you know it's funny we so it's hard work right we've interviewed 818 guests in six years uh, that's not easy because we both have day job but I got to tell you when you love what you do and you trust and respect and you care for the person you you're with it feels like play <laughs> it doesn't you know hard work but believe it or not to me it feels like play so I appreciate you for being a friend a mentor, a sponsor, and someone who's been guiding me for the last 10 years. Uh, so thank you. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Who do we have for episode 267? 267. So next Friday, we have Mike Moray, founder and CEO of Scope Security, and Josh Corman, senior advisor to CISA. We have Maureen Burns, senior partner in Bain's customer practice and author of a book, Winning on Purpose, The Unbeatable Strategy of loving customers. And lastly, Scott Becker, partner at McGuire Woods. That's for perfect. Becker, Hems is coming up. He's Becker's healthcare. If people don't realize that, that is amazing. Well, hey, thanks everybody for following. Uh, if you watch us, catch us 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, most Fridays. And uh, thanks for being here. Take care. Thanks, everyone.